and beautifully healed in Christ. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, you are perfect and beautifully healed in Christ. Now look to your other neighbor. Tell him again. Say, neighbor, this is really true. Come on. You are perfect and beautifully healed in Christ. Thank you. Open up your Bibles now to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and onward, talking about being perfect and healed in Christ. Paul wrote Romans chapter 12. Listen to what he said. He said, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now what are we supposed to do with our bodies? Come on, what are we supposed to do with them? Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. One more time, what are you supposed to do with your bodies? As a living sacrifice. Now, this is where you have to understand who you are and who you are not. Are you your body? No, you're not your body. Think of it like this. If somebody cut off your arm, are you still you? If somebody poked out your eyes, are you still you? How about this? If your body goes into a grave, are you still you? Yes, because you are a spiritual soul that's in a body. Just like you used a car or a bus to bring your body here, but you're not the car or the bus, and you came in the car and bus or out the car and bus the same, you use your body as a way of transportation upon this earth and a way of being on earth. But you are not your body. This is an earth suit. Think about it like that. When you go into the bus, are you still you? When you leave the bus, are you still you? Come on, when you get into your car, are you still you? And when you leave your car, are you still you? Okay, when God conceived you in the body and made you a living soul, that's who you are. When you leave your body, are you still that person? Yes, now get this. When you die, that's not your choice to go to heaven or hell. The only thing that changes when you die is now where your soul is at. Because souls have to be in bodies to be on earth. Souls have to be in bodies to be on earth. So when the soul dies and your, uh, excuse me, when the body dies and your soul disembarks, that's when it goes to heaven because you chose to be born again here, or it goes to hell because you didn't live for Jesus. So the choice is made here, not when you die. How many understand that? So you make the choice here. So the only difference between you now and you in heaven is that you will not be with your body, but you'll be in the presence of the Lord. But there will still be you in heaven. Sometimes people think about losing their body, going to heaven, like they become like a flying naked baby angel or something, like what our grandparents had in the bathroom. You do not become a cherub, as they call it. You don't become that. And then others think about going to heaven like it's ethereal or dreamlike. They'd be like, whoa. I'm up and no, you will be there as you, as you, just like how you are in a body now, you will be there in the presence of the Lord. And then the idea is, is that bodies die because we sinned, but Jesus died for us so that he could be rose again, rise again, so that we can rise again too. So the end of the story is not being disembodied in heaven. The end of the story, book of Revelation, is us having a resurrection, being on earth again in a glory glorified body. Does everybody get that? That you never die again. Okay. So now guess what? When you are born again, are you born again a sinner or a saint? Saint. When you're born again, are you born imperfect or perfect? See, this is how it works. You're born perfect in Christ. But what still remains after you're born again? Your 
body. Did your body change when you got born again? No, some of us wish it would change, right? We could get born again, lose some weight. I don't have to wear glasses anymore. I don't have a big nose like whoop. It just shrinks like the opposite of Pinocchio, okay? I know I shouldn't beat myself up because you guys like my nose, right? No, don't lie in church. But your body doesn't change when you become a Christian. Your soul changes. But what are you now supposed to do with your body? You're supposed to offer your body as a living sacrifice. See, that's your form of worship. Now go quickly to Galatians chapter 5. Go to Galatians chapter 5. Why are we offering this body, Galatians chapter 5, verse 19, as a sacrifice. We're offering as a sacrifice because in the body is the temptation to sin now as a Christian. So your feelings are not always right. Your sensations are not always right. Now, just to show you how complex your body can be, think about how complex an animal's body is. Can an animal's body desire sex? Can an animal's body desire sex, yes or no? Do dogs have sex? Come on, y'all. Come on. Can an animal's body get jealous of the attention you do or do not give it? Yes. Can an animal become hurt and then bitter towards you? If you kick it every day, it can become hurt and bitter. Come on. Now think about how much more complex your emotions, your feelings are in this body that is made in the image of God. It's a beautiful body, but its hard drive is corrupted. So you're supposed to now, as a born-again soul, look at the body and understand what brings about sin is when it's in the flesh, when it's acting unbecoming of Christ. Okay, so until the body dies, this is what will come natural to it, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery. I have been saved over 20 years, and if I'm not careful, my body can have sex with another person's body other than my wife just like that. Because this body doesn't care. This body doesn't care about 20 years of marriage. This body senses hormones, pheromones. It's ready to go. How many men know what I'm talking about? I'm just going to talk to men right now, okay? So does that mean I'm not born again perfect on the inside? No. That means my spiritual soul has to make my body a living sacrifice. Does everybody get it? The word body there in the Greek is soma. The Greek word for flesh here is sarx. They refer to the same exact thing. Now, some Christians have taught that your spirit is born again, your flesh is sinful, but your soul is somewhere in the middle between light and darkness, and then it's up to you, and they'll use the illustration of feeding wolves. If you're going to have two wolves fight each other, they'll say the one you feed the most is the one that will win, and the one that you starve is the one that's going to die. And they'll say, you feed the flesh, you die, you feed the spirit, you live, okay? That sounds good, but that's not the Bible. There are not two yous, a spiritual you, and then a carnal flesh you. The body, remember, is not you. The body, though, has desires and temptations, just like an animal has desires and temptations, but it's not a person. The, but you are one person in your body. There's not a spiritual person called your soul and then a physical person called your body. Do you guys get that? Okay, now I just want to explain that before I read Galatians. Go back to Ephesians. We've already been there. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, it says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions. Was my body dead? No. My 
spirit was dead, separated from God because of your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. So I'm dead and I'm alive. How does that work? I'm dead spiritually, but I'm living in sin. When you followed the ways of the world, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who's now at work and those who are disobedient. And notice, only the devil can work with the spirits who are disobedient. So think of it like this. The thief can't get in your house unless you let the door be unlocked. The devil in this illustration cannot come into your life unless you're first disobedient. So the devil doesn't make you do it. He assists you to do whatever you've chosen to do. Are you tracking with me? Amen? But now watch this. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our what? Of our flesh and following what? Its desires and thoughts. Following what? Its desires and thoughts. Are you a he, she, or an it? See, you are a he or a she. You are a person, but your soul, uh, your soul is a person, but your body is what? It's an it. It's a thing. But that thing, your body, is a living mechanism. Like right now, your heart's doing its thing, and you're not telling it what to do. Your brain neurons are firing. It's, it's not, you don't need to tell it what to do. Your soul, in other words, doesn't need to tell your body to do these things. Well, guess what? Your body can send you temptations all by itself. Your body can send you sensations of bitterness, sensations of, of sexual immorality, to want to please it, to, to overeat. How many know your body tells you when it's hungry. And sometimes you got to be like, no, 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 stomach. I'm not listening to you. You're not in charge. How many got to get sassy with your stomach sometimes? Because you're not your stomach. Okay, now go back to that passage in Galatians. What does the body desire? What does the flesh desire? Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage. We would all call this our sinful nature, but it's not really a separate you. It's a desire. There's not a sinner you and a saint you. Does everybody get that? But the body desires these things, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Now watch. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the what? The kingdom of God, okay? But what's the opposite of that? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now watch this. Don't you love when the Bible confirms itself? Same author, Paul. Look at how he says it. Romans chapter 12 says we offer our bodies as living sacrifices. Look at what Galatians chapter, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 there said, offer your bodies as living sacrifice. Look at Galatians 5, 24 says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have what? Crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Did that explain that verse to you? It's my job to explain the Bible to you. So now get this. We are to come to God and say, God, we offer our bodies, our flesh to you as a living sacrifice. What do you do with sacrifices? Take them to the club? No, you kill them and you put them on an altar and set them on fire. What are you supposed to do with your body? You're supposed to set it on fire for God's glory. You're to crucify it, literally to say, I'm not going to live according to what it wants. That's really important because the Bible says that's actually your worship. So more than just coming to church and raising your hands, that's a part of worship. But more than that, worship is you giving your body up to Jesus every day. You know, Jesus, I got feelings to want to have sex, but I'm not going to do it. I'm going to offer up my body to you, and I'm going to live according to your will. I'm going to make my body 
your slave today, Jesus. Jesus, you tell my body what it's supposed to do, and it's going to listen and obey. I'll make sure. I'll beat it if I have to. Are you listening? Not to make light of slavery in that context, but in this context, I'll beat my body. Now, you can know where some people get astray here because what the Roman Catholics do, they took that concept and said, man, I'm going to beat my body. And you can see them through the dark ages whipping themselves because that's really what they thought they could do to put down the flesh. But the Bible says we don't put down the flesh with physical things. We do it spiritually. That's why it says right here, this is your true and proper worship, not beating the body, but counting it as a living sacrifice. Now, here's another error that people get into. So you got the Catholic error, like, I'm going to literally beat my body. Then there's another error of the Gnostics, and this is what they said. Okay, Paul, let me get this right, because, you know, they would understand Paul. So my spirit is perfect, but my body's wicked, right? Okay. Well, I guess I can do whatever I want in my body then because as long as my spirit's good, I'm going to be up in heaven with Jesus. And then Paul said, no, you will literally, he says this in Corinthians, you will be judged by what you do in the body. So think about it like this. When you go in the bus, can you get away with anything you want in the bus because it's not your house or you're not in the courthouse or something? No. You'll be held accountable for what you do in the bus just like you will in the streets. You are accountable for how your soul lives in the body. Even though you're not your body, your body is your earth suit, but that's why you're supposed to have self-control because you'll be judged, whether good or bad, by what you did in the body. So be born again in your spirit. Offer your body as a living sacrifice. Somebody say verse 2. You all ready for verse 2 now? Amen. So he now says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Somebody say conformed or transformed. See, now this is up to you. Conformed is what the world does to you, to conform you like as if your mind is putty in Oprah's hand. Oprah wants to conform you to think a certain way. Think about it like this. When you go and see a movie, the movie wants to conform your thoughts and make you believe in the hero's plot, that they're fighting a good fight or doing something good. When you read a book, they want to conform your thoughts. This is what Jesus wants to do. He wants to transform your thoughts to be like like his. And only God can transform you. And that Greek word literally means metamorphosize. And it's why there are such things called transformers. Anybody ever hear of a transformer? It goes from one thing to another. You are to go up here in your thinking from stop thinking like the world to start thinking like Jesus. Why is that put into context right here? Because if you're counting your body as a living sacrifice, then what you're supposed to do in your body now, how are you supposed to live for God? Well, it comes from how you think. So how I think is what I'm going to do with my body. So what is Jesus' first command? Love me with all your heart. So I'm supposed to love God with all my emotions. Love me with all your mind. If I give Jesus 100% of my mind, how much is left for the devil? If I give Jesus 100% of my mind, how much can Ellen DeGeneres affect me? You see, now love Jesus with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. If I give Jesus all my strength, how much can the devil get me to waste my time today sinning? See, I give 100% to God, I leave nothing for the devil. So this is how I live with my body, but it starts in the mind, and the mind has to be renewed. So I'm born again, watch, everybody get this. I'm born again, but I don't know how to think born again. Because I got saved November 5th, 1995. Put yourself in my shoes. I'm an 18-year-old pot-smoking, drug-dealing teenager being arrested eight times before I was even an adult, tore up from the floor up, need to check up from the neck up. I don't know how to think like Jesus. All I know how to do is think like the world. 
but I'm a Christian. So now what am I supposed to do for the rest of my life? Learn to think like Jesus and be transformed in my way of thinking. So as you think, the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs is how you are. So I'm going to give you some things that we need to transform. Come on, somebody say bring it. So I'm going to make it plain today. Because a lot of you on Facebook get caught up thinking exactly like people in the world do. So I got to put it on blast. And if you ever shared one of these, don't get your feelings hurt. But I do have to put it on blast today because this is how the world thinks about two specific subjects. The subject of being perfect and who God made you to be and the subject of being healed through your pain. Are you listening to me? Somebody say, I'm perfect. Say, I'm beautifully healed in Christ Jesus. You're not this, but I got to do some acting, okay? Is it all right if I act a little bit? If that turns you guys off, I'm sorry, but I got to act, act it out today. Emotionally, I'm in pain. Mentally, I'm depressed. Spiritually, I'm stressed. Physically, I smile. See, that's how people think, isn't it? I'm just so messed up, and I'm pushing it down. But on the outside, I smile. I'm all right. Isn't that the way the world thinks? And now Christians adopt this mindset. If you only knew what I was going through, Pastor, I'm in so much pain. Let me ask you a question. Is pain real in life? Is depression real in life? Are we supposed to pretend it doesn't exist? No, we're not. But what are we supposed to do? Count our body as crucified and believe what Jesus said and think about Jesus. And Jesus doesn't say anything about this. You know what Jesus said? All you who are weary and heavy laden, take my yoke upon you and you shall find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my load is light. That's what the Bible says. Here's another one. This, this one's a little snarky. This one's a little snarky. One does not simply get off the struggle bus, Pastor. You might be sitting here today with that little bit of snarky attitude. Pastor, one does not just simply come to church and their world change. I'm sorry, but it doesn't work that way. See, that's the way the world thinks. The world thinks that there's a process, and they bring it into Christianity, and they think for any change to happen, it's going to be a little them and a little God, a little them and a little God, and so it just doesn't happen. The devil is the liar. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Jesus said this to people. Today you are whole. Go be healed. Jesus is a healer in the present Salvation is a powerful thing. See, some of you, you believe like this, but you call yourself a Christian because you say, well, you know, I know Jesus loves me, died on the cross for me, rose again from the dead. But, but, but this kind of stuff, Pastor, I don't know about. Listen, I want to get you free from stinking thinking. If you really believe in Christ, stop thinking this way. This is not the way Jesus taught this is, not, this, is, this is not valid, and this is something that will actually keep you in your depression. Can I hear an amen? Now, this one right here has a little bit of like, a little bit of truth to it in a sense, but it's deceptive. Tell me if you've ever heard anything like this. Great souls suffer in silence. I'm suffering in silence. You see, what does this tell you? That this great soul is so perplexed, and they're suffering, and they can't tell anybody, and it's silent. 
Is that what the Bible says to go through your problems like that? Jesus said this, and you should never take it for granted. I am with you always. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Why are you suffering in silence? You should be crying out to the God who answers you. He said, cry out and I will answer you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be open. Ask and you shall receive. But you know what? It sounds so spiritual. Because Christians like to think this way. Great soul suffering silence. I double dog dare somebody to Google this phrase right now. Things your pastor wish they could tell you. Because some of you are thinking, as a pastor, well, Joe, you just don't know what it's like to be a great soul that suffers in silence, you know. That's hogwash. There are literally pastors right now on depression medication, writing blogs and articles, singing the sad song of what it's like to be a pastor. And I just wish I could tell you these things, but I can't because I'm suffering in silence. Suffering in silence. If you're suffering in silence today, it's two things. You're in pride. You're in pride. You should call out to God. And then number two, you should call out to your brother or sister. And I know this church makes those people available to you, especially if you're sitting here today. Run up to the front of this altar and cry out with another. Let them bear the burden with you. Here's something that once again comes across a little snarky. See, this is the the way the world thinks. Thank God you posted that inspirational quote. And for us here, we'll say it like this. Thank God you posted that verse, Pastor. My depression, stress, and anxieties have all magically disappeared. Oh, so now the Word of God doesn't have power? What does the Bible say in the book of Hebrews? Because I know some people are like that. You come to church, and maybe you're here or listening by the way of video, and you're like, thanks, Pastor, for giving me a Bible first. Like, that changes anything. Listen to me, my foolish friend. Faith is being confident of this, of what we hope for. It's the assurance of what we do not see. The ancients were commended for this. Watch this. By faith. Somebody say, by faith. Thank you. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. One word from God can change your entire life. One word from God said, let there be light, and darkness didn't have a debate with light. There wasn't a committee meeting with the molecules. Light came forth, and darkness has been running ever since. Light breaks the power of darkness. One word from God will turn the light on in your soul. Do not believe the nonsense of this world. As we continue on, we begin to see how foolish the world is in comparison to the things of God. Listen to this one. And this one could be a song on K-Love. And nothing against K-Love because I know there's good songs there. But this could be like a song on K-Love. I wish the guitar was right here. I'm beautifully broken, perfectly imperfect, beautiful in all my flaws, all together. I'm a beautiful disaster. I'm a beautiful disaster. I'm beautiful disaster. Wave your hands, sing it to Jesus. I'm a beautiful disaster. Thank you for your grace. This is the foolishness of the world. First of all, it's illogical. It's illogical. And some people put it on God. Like there's this, there's this divine illogic in the Bible. No, no, no. 
When I look at my body, I'm telling you, it's sinful. It must die. That's why we get sick. That's why it doesn't know everything. It's jacked up, people. Trust me, it's better than having a dog's body, I know. But this body has to be rebooted. I have to go in the grave and come back up. I'm never saying anything about my flaws are perfect. That's stupid to talk that way. My flaws are my flaws. They're not my perfections. Are you listening? And beautifully broken, I've never heard the Bible talk anything like being beautifully broken. But yet we'll sing songs like that on K-Love. Here's another one that kind of comes with that, you know, that machismo, that, that sometimes the strongest among us are the ones who smile through the silent pain, cry behind closed doors, and fight battles nobody knows about. There is nothing that bothers me more than when I hear a pastor or a counseling session and a wife starts to talk like this. There's nothing that bothers me more when somebody goes, I've been wanting to share this for so long. I just got to come out with it. Now, I'm glad you can come out with it, but shame on you for hiding it this whole time. Do you understand that? That's a pity patty party. That's pride. That's self-abasement. That's putting yourself down. I'm strong in Christ because I have people pray for me, and I let them know my needs all the time. I don't have to battle alone. I got God the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, and the host of heaven with me in a church of disciples. I'm sorry you felt alone. You didn't come to the Jesus that I did. But the world wants to sprinkle a little bit on that, of that on your thinking. Sometimes the church just won't understand. you got to get away from church people. Well, don't go to heaven then because the only church people are in heaven. Sometimes you got to get away from church people. The devil's a liar. Now, this one right here is real popular because everybody talks about their demons. i got demons. I'm wrestling my demons. First of all, you talk like that, you got real demons, show up here and watch what happens to them in Jesus' name. We cast out demons here in Jesus' name. We're not afraid of them. You bring them right here in Jesus' name, they're coming out. But what they mean by demons is their psychological disorders, their psychological thoughts, their stresses. You wake up every morning to fight the same demons that left you tired the night before. And that, my love, is bravery. Is that how the Bible says to fight spiritual battles? You just get so tired fighting these demons. <sighs> oh, I'm so tired. <sighs> I can hardly hold up my armor. <sighs> oh, I'm so courageous because I'm going to do it again. <sighs> how many have you heard Christians talk like that? That's how they talk, just like the world, just like the lead singer of Lincoln Park who hung himself in a closet. God have mercy. These are lies, my friends. The Bible says you are more than a conqueror. Not death nor life nor any other demon can separate you from the love of God. The Bible says when the day of evil comes, stand your ground. You fight from victory, not for victory. That is bravery, my friends. It is, it literally, look up at me. It takes zero faith to believe this nonsense. This is going with the flow of the world. This is laying on your kayak, going downstream with the river. It takes faith 
to say I am who God said I am. Even though my emotions are being turned upside down, even though my hormones are turned upside down, even though enemies are persecuting me, even though evil spirits come against me, I am strong in the Lord, and in his mighty power is my strength. This is one that I don't know why people like this stuff, but they love it. This is like what women love to put up at the end of the day. They put up a picture of a cat all stressed out, and they say, this is what it's like being a mom. It's like, you know, the cat's all stressed out, and there's like a glass of wine there or something. She's not perfect. She is madness, and madness is a beautiful irony. Where perfection and flaws are the best of friends, where fairies and Tinkerbell hang out together, where things don't make any sense whatsoever. I'm a cursed blessing. I'm a beautiful piece of dung. My friends, this is what the world believes. How many of you hear Christians talk like this? Stop it, my friends. Here's another one. Sometimes the most beautiful people are beautifully broken. How many have heard stuff like that? And then lastly, this one right here. Blessed are the cracked, for they shall let the light in. Crazy, Pastor, I'm just crazy. But I got some light coming in through the cracks. This, isn't that the way the world thinks? Now, this is the thought pattern. Come on, get it. This is the thought pattern God wants to absolutely change. He wants to give you a whole nother way of thinking. Let's go to Transformers right now. You see the truck? But Optimus Primes turns in from the truck to a mighty warrior, right? You've been thinking like this because this is how Oprah Winfrey told her story. This is how the guy that you listen to on the radio told his story. But this is not the story of the Bible. Are you ready for some scriptures? Amen. Let's bring it on. Let's start with how we can choose between being perfect in Christ or seeing ourselves as a mess. I would rather see myself perfect in Christ. Look at this scripture, Hebrews 10, 14. For by one offering, he has what? Perfected forever them that are sanctified. Say that. I am perfected forever because Jesus sanctified me. What does it mean to be sanctified? It means to be taken out of the toy box that says dirty into the toy box that says clean. Jesus has some toy boxes. If you want to look at it like that, we all got them in our house. You got to put the dirty ones there. They got to get sanitized and clean. And then there's the clean ones over here. We got it with our dishes. There's the dirty one right there in the dishwasher. Here's the clean ones up in the cabinets. God's got a place for hell for those who are unclean and a place called heaven for the clean. The sanctified aren't dirty anymore. They're in the clean section. Are you listening? He's perfected them. For how long? For how long has he done it? Say it like you mean it. Come on, forever. How about this? First John chapter 2, 5 through 6 says, but whoso keepeth his word in him verily is the love of God perfected. Number one, the love of God is supposed to perfect you. Did you know that? All of our major issues come from us doubting the love of God, whether or not God loves us enough to change us, whether or not God loves us enough to be through all the problems that we have, whether or not God loves us on our bad days. Do you know what the Bible says? When you keep the word of God, his love is perfected. That is something you can have every single day. You can give God 100% of your heart every day, and you will be perfected in his love, but you got to keep his word. So here's the deal. Everybody look up at me. If you don't work the word, it won't work for you. And then you'll go back to singing them K love songs, putting up them silly memes, 
And you'll think that somehow I'm not living in the real world and i got to make a confessional blog. Seven things pastor wish he would tell you. Well, guys, all the time I was your pastor, I was really cheating on my wife. Now pastor's being real. That's so awesome. I'm being real when I tell you this. I haven't looked at pornography since 96. Haven't smoked or got drunk since 96. Haven't cussed since 96. Have never thought about taking my life since 96. Why? Because I've been keeping that word since 96, and God has been keeping me. Half of y'all want to clap. Half of you don't know what to do. The rest of you can say, oh, me, oh, my, but it's better if you say amen. 1 John 4, 18, there is no fear in love. How much fear is the Christian supposed to have? There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. Well, pastor, I'm afraid of dying. Get more of the love of God in your heart then. Well, pastor, I'm afraid of losing my job. Get more of the love of God in your heart then. Pastor, I'm afraid of becoming sick and dying of cancer. Get more of the love of God. Not 99%, 100%, and every bit of those fears will go. Is it supposed to be done? Absolutely. It's a command. It's a command, my friends, because fear has torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. How many fears do I want my children to have? How many fears do you think God wants you to have? So how many do you have? Come on, say none by faith and believe it. I'm not saying fake it till you make it. I'm just starting to say speak what you're supposed to be. Believe what you're supposed to be. Stop speaking what you already have been. Amen? How about this little old verse that gets lost in the Bible all the time? They find judge not lest ye be judged real quick, don't they? What about this one? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Whoop, let's skip that one. <laughs> well, that's supposed to be your life, isn't it? Let's just go over it again since, you, since some of you may not be getting this. I just want to take my time. Have I sinned since being made perfect in Christ? Yes, but that doesn't change my identity. My son is made perfect in my image. His DNA matches my DNA. He's my son. You can't be more of my son than he is. He has my identity, but he doesn't always act like me. When he doesn't act like me, does that change his DNA? No. When he doesn't act like me, that shows him and I that he needs to work on his maturity. Identity and maturity, two separate things. You're first made a child of God. Identity is settled, perfect in his image. Now maturity. Now maturity. You get to grow up. You get to learn how to live like Jesus. You get to learn to do what Jesus does. And if you don't do it, he will forgive you. How many have sinned since being a Christian? How many of you have Jesus forgive since you were a Christian? Amen? Look at what 1 John says. My dear children, I write this to you that you will not what? So we're not supposed to what? Sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. So yes, God is good at forgiving us, but he's also good at changing us and maturing us. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has what? Has come. The old has gone. The new is... Okay, does everybody get it? Where is the new? It's right here. Do I have to wait to die to be made new? I am made new here. Is my body made new? No, it's my spiritual soul we've been talking about. You all get it? That's where you have to believe you've been changed. That's what takes the faith. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his what? Workmanship or masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do what? Good works. So look at this. If you are a new creation, you're actually created to do the good things which God before ordained that we should walk in them. A few more verses. Stick with me in this section. Don't get tired. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a what? 
a holy nation, God's special possession. See, that's what God thinks about you. You're not alone. You're not having to cry by yourself. You're able to call on God and have him answer you. The Bible says you can go to his throne boldly in your time of need and find mercy. You're God's special possession. You are more valuable to God than this ring is on my finger. I don't go anywhere without this ring. And God keeps you with him and you are with God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So what is the praise, the testimony of your life supposed to be? I once was in darkness, but now I'm in light. Your testimony is not supposed to be sometimes I'm in darkness and then sometimes I'm in light and then I'm in darkness and then I'm in light. Darkness, 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 light, 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 darkness, light, darkness, light, darkness, 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 light. I'm having fun today. Can you tell? This is not Christianity. As a matter of fact, what does the Bible talk about people who are double-minded and lukewarm? What does the Bible say to them? It says, so because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about ready to spit you out my mouth. He doesn't like that dancing between the two worlds. Choose one or the other. Make it simple, okay? I'm choosing to be God's possession. I get to choose. You get to choose. Look at what Jesus said. Somebody say, Jesus said. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, anyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be what? Free indeed. So once again, some days I'm a son, other days I'm a slave to sin. Some days I'm a son, other days I'm getting whooped like Kuta Kente. Sometimes I'm a son. How many of y'all want to get whooped like Kuta Kente did? I'm being serious when we watch the color purple. The devil doesn't love you. Do you understand that he doesn't treat you good? Stay a son in the house. Stay a son in the house. And how many are glad we, in this nation, freed the slaves? Amen. I'm not trying to make light of that. I'm just saying, does anybody here really want to be a slave? Does anybody here really want to get beat and to be mistreated? Stop sinning. Be the son or daughter God made you to be. Can I get an amen? No one who's born of God, 1 John 3, 9 through 10, will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they've been what? Born of God. Look at how everything we do is pointed back to everything we are. We don't do first, we become first. My child has to be born first to do good works around my house. My child can't clean the house until my child's born. Are you listening? You can't do the commandments of God until you're born again. So once you're born again, now you're in God's house. Now he teaches you how to be in his house. So the Bible says in verse 10, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child. So I can't make the excuses say, well, my body did it. My body did it. My spirit's so saved, but my body slapped you in the face. No, I'm responsible for what I do because John is actually rebuking the Gnostics in this letter. In the epistle of John, that's who he's rebuking, people who said, since my spirit's saved, I can sin as much as I want in my body. And he says, that's how you know who the children of the devil are. People who want to keep sinning, they're of the devil. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child. Nor does anyone who does not love his brother or sister. And here's the last scripture in this section. 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who had no sin to be what for us? To be sin from us. Get it like this. How much of your sins did Jesus take on the cross? All of it, right? So that in him you might become the righteousness of God. Now how much of his righteousness does he give you? All. 
It either works both ways all or it doesn't work anyway. If God took part of your sins and you get part of his righteousness, are you tracking with me? But if he took all of your sins, what do you get? All of his righteousness. So how much of your unrighteousness is left? How much? Amen. Can I show you that in another passage? Somebody say, work the word. Look at 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from some unrighteousness. Is that what it says? And he will purify us from how much? All unrighteousness. So I am perfect, remaining perfect. Do you get it? Think of it like this. I want you to get it. If I purify a bottle perfectly, a bottle of water perfectly, it is now a perfect water bottle, right? And the water is pure in all of that way. If there's a piece of dirt that gets in it, what do we do? We repurify it. We re-cleanse it, right? And now it's pure again. Do you guys see that? That's the Christian life. What is the worldly mindset of the Christian life? You're a dirty sewage bottle, and Jesus is always taking junk out of you, but you're never fully pure. It's like you come to church, you're a little bit more purified. You're like... 90% garbage and 10% drinking water. You come again, you come again. Now you get more and more pure. And then finally, oh, you die. And now you're fully purified. Is that what it says in the Bible? No, the Bible says the moment you confess your sins, you're cleansed from all sins. So how about everybody right now in a genuine way say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come on, everybody do it. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me, wash me. Every single one of you are cleansed from all unrighteousness. You are perfect in Christ. Remain who God made you to be. Should you sin, do what? Confess your sin. That's your part. And then what does he do? Wash you of all unrighteousness. Can I hear an amen? Now, what are the problems that we face in Christianity when people don't do this? When people don't live like this or believe this, they will continue in sin and believe it's normal. Have you met Christians that think struggling with sin is just normal? It's like, man, everybody's got their problems, man. These are just mine. The excuses that they'll make is, we're all sinners in a process. Don't judge my process. Okay, part of my process is learning how not to slap people. Now forgive me because I'm in a process. Is that what we do? The, the police officer pulls us over. Police officer, you've got sins. I've got sin. My sin today was just going 90 on the seven, 70 on the 90. I, you know, that's my process. Don't judge me. You see, it makes us foolish in the eyes of the world. We're really supposed to believe. Look at number three. Because if you don't have it right, you're not going to have the experience of a definitive mark in your life where you can say, I was saved. I was sanctified. The Bible literally teaches us that you are saved. You are washed. You are cleansed in Jesus. Can I show that to you? Come on, somebody say, show it to me. See, I need you guys to help me preach. This determines whether or not I preach it one week or another week because I really feel like you guys got to get what we're talking about here today. Look at it. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong. You do this to your brothers and sisters. So these guys weren't acting right. Watch. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? So you shouldn't act like people who don't inherit the kingdom of God. Watch. Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And this is the most happiest verse you'll ever read in the Bible. Verse 11. Let's read together. One, two, three. And that is what some of you were. You're not that anymore. Stop acting like that. That's not 
who you are anymore. The first thing they want to teach you in Alcoholics Anonymous is to tell yourself you're an alcohol, alcoholic the rest of your life. Is it any wonder they only have 10 to 20% success rate, but Christian programs like Teen Challenge have an 80% success rate because we come in there saying, I was a sinner saved by grace. Now I am who God said I am. That's why I haven't gotten drunk since then. I don't go around telling people I'm a pervert. I'm an alcoholic. Nothing's going to change that. I'm just a dog on a leash. I've got to control myself in such and such a way. Otherwise, I'll go crazy every day. No, I am who God said I am. My body's on the altar of God, and that's what I was. But now who am I? But you were washed, sanctified. You were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That's who you are. So who should you say you are? You should say, I'm washed. Come on, let's put that to a song. I am washed. I am sanctified. I am justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. Oh, I am washed. And it's a little country. I'm sanctified. I'm justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. <laughs> let's sing that, Caleb. Oh, here's the deep thought. Everybody get it. Because you'll actually think, if you don't get this, Revy, you'll think your sin is more powerful than God's grace because only time you get delivered from sin is when you die. You'll ignore the command Paul gave in 1 Corinthians where he actually said, God will never allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. He'll provide a way of escape. Er, go this way. And you'll, you'll then pretend that Jesus never taught you to pray, deliver me from evil, lead me not into temptation. So in actuality... Jesus is not your Savior, death is. Because you're waiting to die to get free from your sins. But last time I checked, Jesus died so that you might live. Come on, somebody. So what should we say instead of all that other crazy stuff? We should say, I'm perfect in Christ. Somebody say it. I am perfect in Christ. Look at your neighbor and say, we're halfway done. Now we got to talk about the beautiful stuff. You ready? Somebody say, I'm beautiful. Amen. After Jesus got out of the wilderness fasting for 40 days, he went into church, the synagogue, and they gave him a scroll. The scroll was from the prophet Isaiah. I want you to see it's Isaiah chapter 61, but here it's found in the book of Luke. Look what Jesus said his number one thing to do was. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the who? The broken hearted. Let's be real now. Come on, let's talk about emotions now. Let's be real. Have you ever felt like your heart was a priceless vase that somebody took and cast upon the ground only to break it in a million pieces? Have you been abused and hurt in this life? Is God saying to you those pains are not real? Absolutely not. But this is what he says to the broken hearted. He don't want you to stay broken. He wants to heal you. He came to heal the broken hearted. He came to preach deliverance to the captive. Are you captive to depression, anxiety, fear, addiction, worry? Are you captive to those things? Well, then hear Jesus' call of freedom, recovery of sight to the blind. Are you blind? Can you not see hope? Do you feel like all around you is darkness? Do you feel like you're suffering in silence? Jesus came to let your eyes see. And do you feel today like you are bruised, like people are stepping? 
stepping on you. People are messing with you. He came to set at liberty them that are bruised. And do you always feel like it just doesn't go right for you? Your car catches a flat. Your phone bill gets, your phone gets shut off. Your coworker stinks and has bad breath. Do you just feel like every day is a bad day? He came to preach the acceptable year of the Lord's favor. Every day is a good day with Jesus. That's what Jesus came to preach. He said, I'm going to preach to the poor. I'm going to heal the brokenhearted. I'm going to preach deliverance to captives, recovering of sight to the blind, liberty to the bruised, and the acceptable year of the Lord's favor. Do you know that Paul talked about this? Listen, he said in 2 Corinthians 3.17, now the Lord is the Spirit. How many know the Spirit of God is in this place today? How many know your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? So somebody say where the Spirit of the Lord is, is in me. Come on, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is. Come on, where is the Spirit of the Lord? He's in you, and where, what does the Spirit of the Lord bring? Freedom. One more time, where is the Spirit of the Lord? In you, and what does He bring? Freedom. The Spirit of the Lord is in us, and He brings freedom. How many battles has Jesus lost thus far against the devil? How many? Are you going to be His first? Well, gosh darn it, angels, I just can't get this person free. They're now going to have to take Prozac. Their life is too messed up. Now, listen to me. If you take these drugs, Jesus will set you free, but he'll do it with your doctor. So I don't want to get in trouble if you're getting off medication the wrong way. So don't do anything dangerous or stupid, okay? But listen to me. Do you think there's ever a time that Jesus is going to say, oh, snickerdoodles, I tried and it just didn't work. They're still bound up. They're still hurt. Can I tell you why this offends me? Can I tell you why? Everybody go to Isaiah chapter 53. What's Isaiah chapter 53 about Bible scholars? Come on, Jesus doing what? Jesus on the cross. It's a prophecy about Jesus coming on the cross. Here's the reason why I have problems about this. It's because the same place Jesus took our sins is where he took our, he took our pain. Surely he took our pain and bore our sufferings. He was pierced for our transgressions. How many know Jesus died for your sins? He was crushed for our iniquities. But watch this. The punishment that brought us shalom, peace, was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. How dare you take your pitiful pity party and lift it above the power of the cross. The power of the cross says every pain is healed by Jesus. Every single pain, every depression, every anxiety, every bit of loneliness. We've all buried loved ones here, my friends, and I'm telling you, there is peace in Jesus. Now it's up to you whether or not you want to believe that. Amen? Now you want to know how to talk about your problems because some of you want a solution. And I know it because I want to know how to talk about my problems. Right? How many want to know how to talk about your problems? How many know we're not going to ignore our problems? Okay, you want to know how you talk about them? You talk about them just like Paul. He was being persecuted. His friends were dying. They, some of them were getting sick. They were being abandoned. They were getting their money robbed and stolen from them. Look at what he wrote in 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 13. We are hard-pressed on every side. You ever feel like life is pressing you in? Your job is pressing you in? Relationships pressing you? Financial pressures? You ever feel like you're just in a pressure cooker? Paul said we are pressed on every side. But we are not crushed. 
We are perplexed. You ever been perplexed? Like, I don't know how God's going to work this out. I don't know how this bill is going to get paid. I don't know how to go to the hospital and pray for somebody that got cancer after they were already healed last year. I don't know how to do this. We are perplexed, but we're not in despair. We are persecuted. We are literally put in solitary confinement and chains, but we are not abandoned. God and the heavenly host, our angels, are with us. We are struck down, but we are not destroyed. We always carry in our body the death of Jesus. Where do we carry it? In our body. This body is dying, and they can punch it. They can steal from it. But what happens when they do that to us? The life of Jesus just keeps coming through. For we who are alive are always given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life might also be revealed in our mortal body. Watch this. So death is at work in us. Yes, we're dying, but life is at work in you. So this is what we do. It is written. Everybody say this part where he quotes the scripture. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have the same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Everybody look up at me, please. Get it. This is going to take the most amount of faith in your life right here. Is to believe when you are pressed on every side, you will not be crushed. That's the good fight of faith. Do you get it? You're not fighting from depression and all that. You're fighting depression. You're not fighting to get junk off you. You're fighting to not let it get on you. You're crying just like everybody else, but while you're crying, you're not going into despair. Do you see it there? How could this happen to me? God, I'm so perplexed, but I won't go into despair. God, I'm abandoned. Nobody uh, is, is here. I'm persecuted, but God, you haven't left me. God, I'm struck down. This hurts. When apostles got punched in the face, it felt just like how you would feel if you got punched in the face. One of our missionaries got raped in India. You know what it felt like? It felt like getting raped. But she knew that even though she was struck down to try to get her to leave the nation and to stop preaching, she wasn't destroyed. So what did she do? She believed and she spoke the word. Look at what 2 Corinthians 4.16 says. You want to talk about keeping it real. Let's keep it real. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. I look at my hair. It's getting more gray. My back is wearing down. My nerves are wearing thin. My life is coming to an end. I'm halfway through. But you know what? That doesn't change on the inside. I am being renewed every single day. I am not my body that is wearing thin. I am a spiritual soul being renewed in the image of God. Paul went through some hardships. And you know what Jesus said to him? My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And he said in verse 10, he said, that's why I delight in my weakness and my insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. Get it? He didn't deny it. He said, yeah, I get weak sometimes. I got difficulties sometimes. I get persecuted sometimes. But when I am weak, then I am strong. Put that on Facebook. 
I double dog dare every single one of you. Put that on Facebook. I'm going through a hardship. It's hard. I've lost my job. I lost my car. But Jesus said his grace is sufficient for me. When I'm weak, then I am strong in him. That's what we do as people of faith. Going back to that passage in Isaiah, Jesus said that he was going to heal the brokenhearted. He keeps, the passage keeps going in Isaiah. Let me read it all to you. God will provide for those who grieve in Zion. Will there be times of grieving? Yes. But what will he do? He'll provide and bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, an oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Does everybody see it? We still grieve. We still get sad, but we do it with a crown on our head. And we're not in the ashes. And we're not despairing, even though the tears are coming down. And we're not doing it by ourselves. We're doing it with our God who loves us, who wipes away every tear. We're doing it with our brothers and sisters, and they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Do you know that when you show people the way to go through problems, you're actually showing the righteousness of God? You're showing them that you're not like them. You're showing them you have a different way of thinking. And let's read Psalm 34, 6 together. One, two, three. This poor man called, and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all of his trouble. Okay, let's, let's, let's put right here, poor man, for anything that you're facing. This cancer patient called, and the Lord heard her and saved her out of all of her troubles. How about this? The rape victim called, and the Lord heard him or heard her and saved him or her out of all of their troubles. The lonely person called, and the Lord heard them. Are you getting it? And he saved them out of all of his troubles. The, the sick person, the poor person, the cancer patient all have the same Lord to call to. And some of you might be a little, a little smart alecky right now, but I want to answer this because you might say, does all really mean all, Pastor? I mean, I see people call out on the Lord, and they still got some problems. Let me tell you how all works here. Let me tell you through losing my aunt, dear saint of God in her 70s. She was wasting away because of bone cancer. Some of you have heard this, but for those who haven't, let me tell it to you. Her body is just wasting away. Pain has racked every part of her. They say bone cancer is one of the most painful ways to die. They've now put her in hospice, and there she is getting shot up with morphine, just awaiting the days or week until she's dead. I go to visit her, and she's praying for me. She said, I've been praying for you, Joe, and for your family. She did not let the devil get that victory even on that bed. Now listen. I said, I'm praying for you, too, to be healed. And she said, I know I'm healed. And I could just imagine if some of those nurses or doctors who would come in every now and then, as she would say, I'm healed, they would have to shoot her up with more morphine. I'm healed, shoot her up with more morphine. But I want to tell you something. There was a time she said, healed, closed her eyes, woke up in heaven, and Jesus said, yes, you are. You are delivered from every one of your problems. You see, that takes faith, my friends, in the face of death to say, I still believe that he delivers me from all of my troubles. I'll be there a lot longer than I was here. In closing, as Adam comes, what are the problems Christians are going to face if you don't get this revy of being beautifully healed in Christ? Is you'll think your emotional struggles, look at this, like despair, low self-esteem, and depression are normal for Christians, and it's not. 
Just like the person who's in sin that gets agitated when people talk to them, you'll get agitated too because you'll say, hey man, leave me alone. It's okay for me to be depressed. We're all just broken vessels. We're all just beautifully disastrous masterpieces. Who are you to judge my journey in the valley? And so you'll close yourself off from the word of God because you'll think, you'll think, oh, no, this is, a, this, this is too big for my God. And then you know what? You'll actually stop believing God's a good father who only gives good and perfect gifts, and you'll actually get him twisted with the devil who came to steal, kill, and destroy. Because you'll start saying, well, God did it so I'd get closer to him. I have cancer, so now I have more time to pray. I was just so busy. God never does it like that, friends. God allows us to live in a world of evil, but remember that was our choice. And even when Job was going through those things, it was never God's plan to do that. He just used it. So can God use evil? Yes, but God doesn't want any evil for you. But you'll get it twisted and start making God look like the devil. No, the devil is the one who brought sickness in the garden. I'm not saying today we're sick because somebody sinned. I'm saying sin back then brought physical sickness. It brought natural calamity and disaster. That's why there's typhoons that kill innocent people. And it also brought moral calamity. That's why now there can be a Nazi Germany. All of that, God said, I'll let you do if I get to save those who choose me. And so he could have sent us all to hell, but he's given us a choice. So evil doesn't come from our God. Only good does. Never get it twisted. And then here's when I got to preach again. You all ready for this? I said, are you all ready for it? It's coming whether you are or not. I'm going to get real with you right now. Here's the last problem that you'll have, and I'll have a problem with you, is that you'll become cynical of those who actually have testimonies of God doing great things in their life. You'll say, they're not being real. Pastor's not being real. I bet you he's not really who he says he is. Or, or you'll start to say, oh, I bet you they had an easy life. That's why church works for them. I want to give you three examples that crush that mentality. First one I want to give you is the testimony of Corey Tim Boone. Family hid Jews during the time of the Nazi Holocaust. They were arrested, all of them. Now listen. Her dad dies in the concentration camp. Her sister dies in the concentration camp. Her brother contracts a disease and dies the time they get free. Her family died because of this. And guess what she wrote? She said, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. You can never learn that Christ is all you need until Christ is all you have. There is no pitch so deep that God's love is not deeper still. And God does not have problems. He only has plans. Because I want you to get this today. Some of you just want to lift up your nose and say, my problems are worse than Corey Timboon. You don't know what I've gone through. I've been abused. Has he been abused? I was left by my father. Has he been left by... You see, we want to exalt our pain above the power of the cross. And the Bible says that's deception, my friends. There is no pit of sin and despair that God's love is not deeper still. If you today stick up your nose at this Bible and say, well, that was just for them, you, my friend are going to suffer because of your lack of belief now. Because there are people literally who have gone through the Holocaust who know my God is good. 
And if Corey Tim Boone was here today, she would say, if he's been good to me, he'll be good to you. If he was with me in the concentration camp, he'll be with you. If he was there when my family died, he'll be with you. Here's a living example. Hoen Son Lim was a missionary arrested in North Korea. He's alive today. I got the link. You can read about him. He was a Christian who literally crossed the border into North Korea to be a missionary, to preach the gospel. They arrested him. They caught him. They put him in solitary confinement. He ate over a thousand meals by himself. They then made him go out and dig ditches, work in the winter, in the sun. His worst memories are when he would go out and dig ditches in the winter with his fingers and get frostbite. And listen to what he said upon his release to the first church he preached at. While I was laboring, I prayed without ceasing. I did not have a day of gloom. My moments of discouragement, resentment, and grumbling turned into courage, joy, and thanksgiving. Some of y'all can't even praise God now in an air-conditioned room. Y'all can't even give God the glory. And he's digging ditches with his finger in the winter. How dare you? dare you. I have a holy indignation towards bad attitudes in this place. I love you too much to let you have that stinking thinking. How dare you tell me my God will not be as good to you as he was to him in a North Korean concentration camp. Speak what you believe. Believe it. Because God said it. And he's been with them. And what would we call our greatest fear? And here's mine. Horatio Spafford in the 1800s, I told the story last week, but it's good to repeat again, was from Chicago, sent his family ahead to go to England. His wife and four daughters get on that ship that day. As they're sailing, there's a shipwreck. They're, the wife and four daughters are holding on to pieces of wood. The wife comes to. She must have been knocked out. She's getting rescued. Each one of their daughters is gone. All four. Only her. She must have knocked out and clutched on. They died. Could you imagine that? All four of your children dying in one day. Horatio gets the message that there's been a tragedy. He then goes with his wife on a ship to that same spot in the ocean. And you know what he does when the captain of the ship says, this is where your daughter's body lie? You know what he does? He doesn't write some stupid meme about being beautifully broken. I'll tell you, that's not what he does. And he doesn't tell you some silly thing about wrestling a demon. You know what he does? He writes a song to our great God and Savior. He writes God a song of praise. You know what the name of the song is? It's not beautifully broken. It's not, I'm in madness. You know what the name of his song is? Dedicated to losing four daughters in one day. It is well with my soul. His soul transcended the pain of his body. Was seated in heavenly places with his father and his savior Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit. He took his place upon eagle's wings, 
and soared above the pain. And he said, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when days are good, when sorrows like sea billows roll, like the same sea billows that swallowed up his daughters, he said, no matter what my lot is, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Can you say that today, dear Christian? Can you say, I am beautifully healed in Christ today? Say it like you mean it. I am beautifully healed in Christ. Say it one more time. I am beautifully healed in Christ. If you believe it, would you stand up? Come on. Let's give God a hand clap of praise. Hallelujah. Altar workers and band, would you come, please? Can I pray with you before we go? Father. We want to believe today what your word says. We want to speak it out and declare it. We are perfect because you have made us perfect. We are healed because you have healed us. And there is nothing that can change that today. With every head bowed and eyes closed, if you're here today and you don't,